You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. For years, we've heard that artificial intelligence is going to put 50% of the workforce at least out of work. We're starting to see it. The screenwriters and the auto workers are striking, trying to hold their position in the coming revolution of artificial intelligence. What happens when a machine has an IQ of 300 and you are still stuck at 110? But, like me. So what does that mean? Does that mean that 50% of the workforce is going to be out of business? Are we all doomed? Will there be Skynet? Will the Terminator show up? Will it turn into a utopian where all these major companies will send us UBI and you'll get to spend all week with your kids and just perform art? Uh, It's probably none of this, and it'll probably look a lot different. So I had a practical conversation with one of my new favorite guests. This was... Such a fun conversation with a guy named Joe Golisarian. He is the author of The Practical MBA on Economics, What They Do and Don't Teach You at Business School. He wrote this book, this 500-page book that is a sweeping look at economic history and the big changes in history. And he joins me to apply that to artificial intelligence. We're going to talk about the winners and the losers in terms of who's going to grow and who's going to be impacted where are the positives? Where are the negatives in terms of artificial intelligence? We can't ignore this subject. Artificial intelligence is already upending and changing everything. ChatGPT was a watershed moment, and it is only the beginning. So you need to hear this episode. You're going to learn a lot. And if you have comments, go to chrisbengal.com. Leave them there. Please stay tuned right after these messages for my conversation with Joe Golisarian. We run on the value for value model here on the Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians podcast network. That means... Do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Well, then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon. You can go to supportcss.com or patreon.com slash libertarians, and you can join our Patreon. Not only do you support the program and the entire We Are Libertarians podcast network, by helping pay all of the bills, you're also going to get ad-free shows. You're going to get early releases, sometimes months in advance in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet. You'll also be able to get the full archives, the full RSS feed of all the past episodes. And there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like I am about to do right now. Thank you so much to our $100 a month members, especially Vincent Pykel, Matthew Durbin, Jason Doolittle, Christy Avery, and our good friend Reinhold. Thank you so much for supporting us, and we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today. Joe Golisarian, thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm excited to talk to you. Just getting to chat with you before, I can tell it's going to be a fun conversation about a lot of different topics. We'll talk about AI in just a moment, but I want to get to know you first because you've had an interesting career. You came of age in the 70s and you've seen a lot of transformation. Give us the shape of your career in, in a couple minutes. It's I can do it probably in 35 seconds because okay. I really started out around physical industry. When I was young in high school, I wanted to be an automotive designer. I didn't do that. And in industry, by I'm, I know how to make tooling and stuff like that by trade. That was my mm-hmm. first trade I learned from my dad. He used to make very complex parts. I went to engineering school for a while. I dropped out of there. I ended up in the health and beauty care 
business. I ended up in consumer packaged goods. I went and did my MBA. And then I came back and I taught in business school. I taught statistics and corporate finance and postgraduate marketing. Did that for a couple of years. And and I really missed industry a lot. The students were very nice. And I went back and I formed a CPG company. And I've always wanted to write something since I was like 17, 18 years old. But back then I was more more into more frivolous things. And I didn't get a chance because I was just discovering girls at the time. So <laughs> how, can, you know, how can you think, you know? And, uh, and There's but, always a black hole in all of our CVs when yeah, it comes to uh, <laughs> yeah, but it was a, it, yeah, exactly. It was a worthwhile endeavor at the time, it seemed <laughs> like it. And then, um, yeah, I wrote um, uh, a book about five years ago, but then this one here, I got serious, and it was the Practical MBA on Economics, what they do and don't teach you in business school, everything from... Milton Friedman, The Debasement of Currency in Rome, and anything else you could think of. I take you through all the stock market crashes. I take you to the history of monetary policy. I even hissed on FDR and Hoover and why they deepened, prolonged, and agitate the Great Depression, the mid-century reset, and I drop you on the doorstep of Bitcoin and the Ponzi scheme passing off as a treasury. And it's not just in the United States when you go all over the world. It's just a mess. But uh, the plebeians want government and they'll get lots of it. Just, yeah. You, know. You're, you are in Toronto, correct? You're in Canada, right? Yes. Please don't tell nobody. I, mean, I know, you know, right? I, it's more of a, a sympathetic, empathetic type thing. It's, yeah. oh, you live in Canada plus. <laughs> you know, I, I imagine is the business environment in Canada versus America how different are those two? Because the American view of Canada, especially on the right, we always look at Canada and we're like, oh, you've got Justin Trudeau. It's basically communism. So, but that's not true, right? And the other exposure that Americans have is HGTV, where we see you all buy houses for $2 million with shoestring jobs. So that's like the American exposure really to Canada. But when it comes to the two business environments, what's it like operating a business in Canada versus America? In Canada, our corporate tax rates are not bad at all. On the first half a million or so you make, I could stand to be corrected, it's at 15%. It's your personal tax rate that's brutal. And I'm not going to go there, but in my book, I state it, Chris, that it's, even if you're making 65, 70 grand, and that's like middle class at best, that entry middle class, you're giving about 52 to 53% of your money because we have a value-added tax. You'll come up with something creative like that when the plebeians ask for more government. But what I like specifically, Canada is still Victorian in heritage. And what I like about the United States is, because I've lived there for a while too, um, things happen quickly. The connectivity of business, the can-do spirit, it's very let's try this, let's try that. They're open to a lot of new ideas, right? They're ready for conversations. And Canada is a little bit more subdued. We like to have inquiries first. If for some reason, if our country became half obliterated through some military excursion by a foreign power, we'd have to have an inquiry first. (laughs) And that could be a 400-page report. And then this way, you can get a lot of retired and unemployable judges sitting there making a few hundred thousand a year, <laughs> writing these 800, 1,000 page reports that nobody will read. So I gave you a synopsis. But so, yeah. And when I started my career, uh, especially when I was a little boy and I saw my dad open up his machine business, we just had a gargantuan amount of technicians, engineers, 
artisans, dreamers, people with know-how, and we lost a lot of that manufacturing core, which I talked about in my book too. And you're, we're not going to get back here or in the United States, these politicians who basically wouldn't know the difference between a circuit board and a screw thread machine or a CNC machine are talking about bringing back jobs. Unfortunately, if you lost almost two generations of artisans and you're not propagating knowledge to the next generation, what I mean by that is a lot of these people are gone. They used to pass it on to the next generation. Geez, when I worked with my dad for a while out of a, a, a small place, he worked on the space arm. People tinker and think. And especially with young men, when you give, keep them occupied, they become industrious as opposed to, you can pull your shoulders throwing Motlov cocktails and all that at protests <laughs> and so forth. To, to, to your point, I just read an article, and I don't know if you saw this, but Tim Cook said the issue in, in manufacturing in China versus bringing those jobs back here to America or to Mexico or North America is not that China is cheaper anymore. It's actually not cheaper to manufacture a lot of their products, he said, in China. It is that the institutional knowledge of manufacturing is in China. He said exactly what you just said, in that you can't just pull up and leave China and bring back people here because the people who know how to work on the robots, the people who know how to design the robots, the people who know how to tool the machines work in China now. And they don't exist in America. Correct. And they installed, I think, 53% of the world's industrial robots in the hundreds of thousands in the year 2022. I had a whole robotic report. Mm. I've got so a lot of reports in my head. I'll spew them out. 1961, the United States and the U.S., the very first industrial robot was brought out. I believe it was for spot welding, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that was brought out in the General Motors factory in 19. 61 it was used there they lost that industry to the japanese then the germans and and the cnc machine which basically means in english it's a computer numerically controlled machine that's what i went to study to program and stuff like that and what it does is it creates water tooling all the things it changes tools so on and so forth it makes consistent high speed precision parts you need an operator on it still but man it, it can work 10 times as quick as a human and a thousand times is consistently accurate. Otherwise, that's one of the big reasons why we see consistent parts in cars now. CNCs yeah. don't make mistakes. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so, I think that I'm here in Indiana and you're talking about a state that from 1980 to 2010 lost, like in a state of six million people, a million people lost their jobs. And these wow. gorgeous cities like Anderson and Marion and Delphi and all these different central Indiana that had just like these amazing towns have all just completely rotted. And they're very scary places to live, actually, because there's a lot of desperation because you've seen these jobs that were part of the auto industry just disappear mm -hmm. for exactly the reasons you just said. And so when AI comes along, you have a state in Indiana that really tried special under Mitch Daniels to make itself the Silicon Valley of the Midwest and succeeded in a lot of ways, thanks to Rose Holman of Purdue University. And has we're getting a Tesla battery factory and we're getting a chip plant. Joe Biden helped put a chip plant here for silicon chips. So there's all these fears here in the state where I live. And I think the economy as a whole that said we've been 
working for 30, 40 years to transition to white collar work and to other modes of industrial. And now AI is coming along and artificial intelligence is going to rob that labor force. So I, I think before we get into whether or not the fears are valid, I think you're a good person to ask about the fear itself and the fear of new technology. Having written this sweeping history of economics and shifts, how do you pull back and look at the conversation that's going on around AI? Because I think it's easy for people to go, oh, when the Gutenberg machine came out, people had the same fears and you had the Luddites that smashed the sewing machines and, and everything. Is this, is artificial intelligence one of those things that is just another moment where Americans and the people in the world go, okay, yeah, you've seen Skynet, but your fears are unfounded. Or I guess take a look at the fear. Is this just another sort of passing moment where we'll be okay? The short answer is no. I'm going to step back a bit and build up to this. When we talked about those jobs going away, and I'll just stick on this for about 20, 30 seconds or so, if I may, Chris, those jobs went away, not necessarily because of just greedy corporations. The consumer acted in their own interest, filled up their carts at Walmart, filled up all the lowest cost Black and Decker products, whatever they wanted to buy, all their smartphones, all their Android phones, They act in their their own interests. Corporations act in their own interests. And you you and I might want a pension fund that's nice and full. So we're acting in our own interests. I go back and say we're all in this wheel together, if you will. Now, in answering your question, should people go, oh, this is just like the fourth industrial revolution. I'm not discussing anything to do with the is it Klaus Schwab, right? Did I say right, that? Yeah, no, not the World that? Economic Forum people. Forget him. He's the thing he can't control. <laughs> no, but he's going to get in the next James Bond movie. And man, <laughs> yeah, he should be in the Stephen King movie too. He looks scary. Anyways, but in answering that, I, the short answer is the first and second and third industrial revolution, all of them which I reasonably detail in my book. And the third one is what brought you the circuitry and electronics and Uh, digital technology, so on and so forth, you can turn around and say, the internet was already there. What do you mean? When we had Tesla, he already showed wireless in a boat, I believe in 1891 at a Chicago fair. And we already, then we saw it on the British Navy ships in the early part of the 20th century. I'm not going to go on about that part, but what we're dealing with now with AI is the first, second, and third industrial revolution. You can combine them together, put them on steroids, and it's going to knock this world inside out, upside down. It's not going to go away. The first Luddites that came out were, of course, the screenwriters. And and then the next one, of course, the auto industry uh, came out. They know these, it's not just the EV cars. Uh, they're used to having their jobs taken by industrial robots. So we'll see how that plays out. But the day of getting those industrial jobs where you're Joe Sixpack working on the line, relatively low skilled, you really cooked. And it's just not because of AI, because you see what I can do now is is maybe a painting robot, an assembly robot, so on and so forth. I've been in these robotic factories because I have a great curiosity for technology. And one of my buddy's friends has a had a robotics company manufacturing here in Canada. I went in, it was just like, I just sat there for four hours and was just like in the 
a, a kid in the candy store. And I've been in the Ford plant here in Canada too. So what I'm trying to tell you is it's going to start affecting a lot of areas. And some of the areas that I'm just talking about, your junior lawyers used to book them up for $250 an hour, pay them 30 bucks and kick the crap out of them for 75, 80 uh, hours a week, right? And uh, promised them they're going to be superstars in your law firm. Today, if you sue me, because you said you guys don't make very good soda water in Canada, that Canada dry is not that good. We make better stuff in the States. And I get sued. Uh, I could take your lawsuit, dump it into um, AI chatbot, especially for, and I've got a beautiful defense, right? Being facetious here. Um, I could go on with mathematicians, right? I was always enamored with regression analysis and correlation model building, blah, blah, blah. And if you did a master's degree in mathematics, you're set. You're going to be taken up anywhere you go. That's going to be a problem too, because all these formulas, you can give me a data set. I can plug it into AI and it comes out beautifully with the math model, right? Mm -hmm. Accounting and bookkeeping, you can do basics there. You can do a lot of your rudimentary. It's only going to get smarter. And I was talking to some guy at the bank. I go, you're working here part-time. He goes, yeah, I'm going to school. I'm studying business and coding. A lot of that coding is going to be taken over by AI. However, the question is, if you get mathematicians, lawyers, coders, business strategists who can reconcile and work with AI and they become masters at prompt engineering or learning how to use the prompts. That's the upside. Did I depress you already? A little bit. No, no I think I think I work in radio and I've worked in radio since 2004. So I'm on my 20th year now actually coming okay. up on it. And it was very clear in 2004 that there was going to be no radio industry. I'm amazed I've lasted this long, but that's thanks to having a great boss. But one of the problems that the industry has is that it got rid of interns. I was like the last wave of interns. And so there was no farm team. There's nobody under 40 in radio. And so there's nobody that will be available to be hired that will have 10 years of experience or five years of experience, really, to come in and do like radio engineering, for instance. Anybody can talk into the mic, right? But And anybody can maybe sell the products. But in terms of building the towers and fixing the infrastructure, there's not going to be radio engineers. And if you are one of them, you will be flying across the country making a boatload of money. But that entry-level job, so what I just heard is that the farm teams at law firms, my kids who are four and three months, by the time they get to it, that those opportunities to be a junior lawyer, to be an intern, to be someone like myself who was working cheaply for experience to eventually get to where I am now, where I'm making good money because I have experience. I can look at AI. I use ChatGPT every day, right? Yes. It, is, it has helped enhance what I do. It's helped take some mental pressure off of load in the transcript, write me the description, clean up the description, make it human, make it good based on my experience. So what I just heard is that the experience, that first 10 years of a person's career vanishes. Is that maybe the, the hardest part, especially in white collar work? Yeah. You brought up some really good points there. I'm going to put a positive aspect on that. Okay. I don't want your listeners to start calling suicide control. They're going to be on hold anyways. But no, we no, look, no, we no. are a very crafty species. I'm not too worried about yeah, us. Yeah. But. We're, we're, we're pretty crafty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
My answer to that is you alluded to what I was going to say is, again, going back, if you can harness this information, that's where you're going to go with this thing here. And I think that's where you're going to, on the positive side, again, if you can harness this for the time being, I can't tell you 20 years down the road, right? I'm not Nostradamus, but if you can harness it and use it for competitive advantage, you're going to be very fine. You're going to do quite well. But some jobs will just completely disappear. I'll give you an example of them. In September, you had 330,000 new jobs, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I'm not going to grind through the numbers. Some say, oh, that should be adjusted, unadjusted. Approximately 70,000 of those jobs were government jobs, right? Mm. So when I turn around and I combine, let's say, retail, food, hospitality, restocking store shelves, so on and so forth. I did a little study before I came on your show. There's close to 30 million jobs. The U.S. labor market's 167. So you got almost 18 to 20% of your jobs in those areas. And if you're in a hotel, we're not far away, maybe two years, three years tops, where you've got robots that can turn around and clean the, get the bed sheets, go in there with their optical eyes and so forth, right? Clean the bathroom, the washroom, so on and so forth. Those people are going to, they're going to be hurt at some level. But the upside is, that's what I was going to tell you, and I lost my train of thought. When you asked me that question, the first 10 years are gone, fair point. But I'm going to argue that a lot of those mundane tasks are going to be gone. It's going to liberate our minds. Mm. So I'm saying on the upside, it's going to liberate your minds. But you asked me a question. What about the first 10 years I studied radio or I became an engineer and I was in the shop floor or what have you and designing or musician, what have you? Yeah, you're going to learn. You're going to lose some of the learning up the uh, going up the learning curve. That's the word we use. That's the one. Yeah. So I hope I answered that. No, I think that's a positive argument that I've heard once before as well. And that I had lunch with someone who is in the white collar museum space. They said, look, I can't find anybody to work the front desk. And so the first person that walks in here and has an AI tool that will allow people to be checked in or to perform these functions that I cannot hire labor for, I'm going to hire that robot. And so it's not that people who are doing the high level tasks are being replaced. It's that I'm filling out the needs that there's more people, there's more money being spent, there's growth happening, but there's not enough low wage people like low wage positions. There's more low wage positions than there are people to fill them, I guess is the, the dignified way to put that. And so that's really where it's going to fill in, allowing all of the rest of us to maybe pursue those higher interests and think a little bit higher level, as opposed to just looking at human beings as robots. The robots are going to do the robot stuff and the humans are going to do the human stuff. True. And in the beginning, that's how we'll get into it. But, oh, another positive area is with AI, you could properly eliminate 95% of the civil service. Oh, okay. All five right. Years. Very yeah, good. So there's a positive side. If you can politically get that through you can. Congress or Parliament. <laughs> and, and if you want to do that, I'll give you bleeding gauzes. I'll supply them. It's on the house, Band-Aid, so on and so forth. So uh, that's the positive side. 
But going and by that, I mean, I got a parking ticket today for parking nice. the wrong way on the street. Somebody wrote the ticket, and then I've got to pay mm-hmm. some human being clerk. That yes. could all be automated. That could be automated, and uh, Uncle Sam, government general, will be happy. Right, uh, yeah. After all, if, you know. They're still stealing my $20, okay. Yeah, what can I say? <laughs> Taxation, government, racketeering, you tell me the difference. <laughs> Taxation, government, racketeering, you tell, in whatever order. And um, anyways, I'll, I'll keep my... Uh, personal views aside here. You'll get an earful of me if you read the book. And But uh, in essence, so in the beginning, yes, if you, again, understand the prompts, you don't have to be an engineer, just understand the prompts. For example, I'll give you an example. They go, I'm telling you right now, artists are finished. Yes and no. If you're an artist and you can take your mind and come up with the right type of sequential prompts to articulate your vision to, let's say, some of the ones that I know on Discord, there's all kinds of programs on there that I started using. Willow Willow is one of them. If you could do that, you're very, very wanted still, okay? Mm. And if you're running an art department. Now, I had a whole bunch of charts, like a, a, a diagram. One of them I called them in my book called the Kabbalatocracy, the interwoven relationship between government, academia, the whole gang, Silicon Valley, the agencies, so on and so forth, the spook agencies, the whole gang there, Hollywood. And so I tried to make pictures of funny pictures of the central bank, Hollywood, and all these people. My artist was having a bird over it. And a lot of them, I know I worked in art departments, right? So I know what illustration costs, but I can basically create all of that in about 25 minutes. That would cost me Cricketers, even if you went to Fiverr, would still cost you three to four thousand bucks to do. Yeah. If you got something cheap, maybe got somebody. But if I know the prompts, I can still save myself. But you've got a very great point. I'm going to have to think about that. What happens to your learning curve the first five to 10 years around the job? Yeah. That's, and it's very hard for me not being in radio, in live radio and production as you are. To understand the nonces, those thousands of tiny subliminal and overt things you know. And how do I even put that on paper? I wouldn't even know the first clue. No, that's it's hard for me to articulate. What does it take to do a good interview? What does it take to research for a guest? What does it take to do this, that, right? And there are tasks that I can outsource. I know instinctually what people are going to click on. Right. Because that's my job. That's my value. I can set a a complex media ecosystem to help get people into that ecosystem to engage them. That's the value going through the audio and taking out your or my or (laughs) I can pay somebody in the Philippines to do that. Or now I can use AI to click a button to do it, which I do. And that unfortunately eliminates the need for me to find somebody who's maybe in college or out of college to come in and to teach them how to use Adobe Audition to edit. And then along the way, they get interested in the subject. They're asking me questions. Here's how you do it. They're starting podcasts. But I do think some of that knowledge has shifted now. Instead of me doing it one-on-one, I have a podcast called Podcasting and Platforms where I teach people that. So now I'm earning income by... I don't want to say weaponizing the knowledge, but expanding the base of people that I'm talking to because my time is freed up from basic editing to then go do more content. 
and teach more people on a broader scale. So that may be along the lines of exactly what you're saying is that I was in a podcast editors group and somebody there, their people found out about this AI tool that I use called Descript, where I click the button and it removes the ums and their client wow. said, their client said, what do I need you for? I just figured out how, what you're doing. And he's like, that's not what I'm doing. I'm doing a bunch of other stuff that you're not going to see. They're like, I'm just going to cancel the contract. So it just set off this panic in this editor's group. And I made the point that I can go to the YMCA to lift weights by myself, but I need to pay a personal trainer to do it. I, I have to have a human touch to, to have that other piece of experience because they have knowledge and they have accountability that I don't have on my own. Right. So I think there's, so you take that. Yeah. Gyms are open and gyms are able to be gone to for 10 bucks, mm -hmm. but are you really going to get the best experience compared to hiring a personal trainer? And that's what everybody said. Like this happened to me and guess what? They were back in three weeks because there's a human element to it that even though that low level function is gone, there's the coaching part. There's the accountability part. There's the human aspect that a robot's just not ever going to give you. And uh, so, so that made me feel better. But then again, I start thinking about Skynet and how what happens 20 years from now when it's all smarter than us. I don't know. I, I just I, I look at it and I, I'm on the more hopeful side like you where people can maybe have more time freed up. But I do think that transition is going to be pretty rough. And I think a lot of white collar people, I'm 40. I graduated in high school in 01, right after the 9-11 crash. Uh -huh. We all graduated college in the 08 crash. We, we, it, it's just like there's never been a moment where you can get caught up and your wages are always stuck because there was some global reason why, you know, people my age have, I think it's like my grandparents who were raised in the depression, given us a better focus on the human elements of life as opposed to the monetary. But it just feels like, man, I'm finally getting to my prime earning years at this skill. And now this robot's going to come in and just kick me in the teeth. This sucks. I understand it. In defense of you, my sales hat's coming on. Here's how I do a pitch if I was you. This is maybe I should yeah, please. on camera. Uh, very quickly, I understand, Joe, um, I know I understand that you know how to take the ums and the ahs and the sneezes and the coughs and, you know, a little bit of profanity. I don't swear. Um, live anyways. <laughs> um, and uh, that's fine. So, Joe, do you want to talk about your book? Do you want to promote your book? Do you want to talk about AI for competitive advantage? Do you want to talk about the future of AI? Or do you want to go in the weeds and get yourself stuck in the weeds and lose your big picture? That's my pitch. And Joe, if you want to sit there and do it all yourself and get, you can go get a book called Audio for Dummies. And if that makes you feel empowered, but what about the message you have? You might be a musician, a technician, an engineer, a political podcaster, whatever you're podcasting. So I get you out of the weeds, man, get your head out of the weeds and it's all less money now. And don't worry about it and let you stick to your, and I'll stick to my knitting. You know? <laughs> no, I love it. I think that's great. It's a pitch. So no salesman will call. What verticals do you think are going to be most affected over the next decade? Negatively or positively? Yeah. Negatively. Let's start negatively and then we'll end positively. Okay, there. we'll go negative. We went through the math, some mathematicians, coders. Some authors will be negatively affected as well. It'll be a question of, I think you'll have integrated media books. In other words, people want to visually be integrated too. But 
reading still impregnates your mind, like it really goes in deep. I did. So yeah, authors are going to come up against it. A good example is when I wrote my new book, I needed a list of all the acquisitions that Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg made because I was writing an area called the 10 greatest entrepreneurs of all time. I can't tell you, just like a riddler, I can't tell you to okay. visit Gotham City. And uh, <laughs> I go, what are the list of acquisitions? In the old days, I'd go through that Google site, this Google site, so on and so forth, put it on AI chatbot, boom, it's done, IGPT. So the other areas is translators. I'll give you an example. I do business in Latin America or die trying. I've been down there a lot. So I have a guy, of course, he's in Central America. And of course, he's my um, business development manager there. And he's fluent in Spanish. And I had to take a complete presentation and translate to Spanish. And I go, Guillermo, what do you think? Because this is really good. I'm doing one into another language, right? Because my brands are in different languages, right? I'm doing one tonight or tomorrow for another language. And I run it by them. And it looks good, right? Mm. And that brings me to editors. When I have to edit my book for content, for grammaticals and all that, you don't want to be cleaning up my grammaticals. It's like <laughs> tales, tales from the crypt. When I was in school, I thought that was just stuff that I didn't have to interest myself in. But I run that through AI too. So it's going to hit editors at one point too, right? And finally, those are some of the ones. The auto assembly is one. A lot of testing and fail-safe systems in engineering, that's going to be done all by AI. Already is. CAD CAM used to do it before computer automated design and computer automated manufacturing systems. That's going to change. But I want to give you one because I was reading something about Walmart. Okay, you show a picture of your background or your room and what have you. We'll move the room around there, so on and so forth. So you show a picture of your room and... Uh, then you'll turn around and say, I have $800 to spend, and I want my room to look modern. Can you hmm. please let me know what I can buy? Put it into my room and decorate it for me. My budget's 800 Click. Bang, it's going to be all in there. Right? Fascinating. Yeah. yeah, that is fascinating. And that stuff's, like, really funky, right? And yeah. um, so AI is going to take some people away from more important tasks, and that is by tapping all day on Instagram and Twitter and so forth and so <laughs> on and so forth. I try not going to the foxhole there. Oh, please, I you're can't. telling me that this is going to create more time for social media? That's not good. <laughs> yeah. Let me give you another part. Now, on the positive side, uh, I, gave you I gave you interior decorators. On the positive side, the possibility of a three-and-a-half-day work week could evolve. Mm. because you become so you got even you you were both admitting to each other we're much more efficient but yeah. let me give you i gotta go dystopian it's just i i don't know what happened to you. i wasn't like That's this okay. as a kid it's just getting happy and worse <laughs> when i get older but let me give you an example let's pretend that corporations become so efficient in their processes procedures their systems you've got humans in there and what would you do if AI starts learning at AI level three and four, they can self-teach themselves. And what happens when they're smarter than us and our minds oh no, are become relatively obsolete? So corporations want to create as much cap as much money as they possibly can. So now you've laid off AI has caused, and being a little bit what ifs here, in the next 10 years. 70% of the workforce is obsolete. 
What are you going to do? And then in 20 years, 90% is obsolete. So what's going to happen is, much like Sweden, it's going to be reversed from Sweden. In Sweden, they tax people a lot, but they don't have to pay for anything, and corporations get low tax rates. It's just their system. Call it what you will. What happens, because government exists, so you pit the very wealthy against the poor while they take all their donor money from the wealthy. But that's just right. the, Okay. So we won't go there. So what happens is corporations will become multi-trillion dollar profitable corporations that make profit, right? Mm. So when they become profitable and we don't have jobs, 70% of us, what do we do? That's when we introduce the next great thing, and that's going to be universal basic income. I'm not an advocate of that. And then what you do is you give people UBI, you keep them relatively happy, you bring them out of the house four years to act like complete savages about what party I'm going to vote for, basically. <laughs> tyrant number one, tyrant number two, tyrant right. number three, pick your door. Just what was that? It was I think it was that Canadian guy actually did it. Let's make a deal. Which Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Monty Hall. I think I'm getting from actually Winnipeg in Canada. And so you keep them nice and docile like that. You let them have free Netflix. You let them have free MMA. So just like the Roman Coliseum, you see all the blood <laughs> that beat the hell out of them. And hockey's best fights and the guy's lost his teeth and all that. And just, Have you seen Idiocracy? No, I'd like to like, see. Let me write you that need down. to write down Idiocracy and watch it because that's basically what it is. There's yeah. it. You're describing Idiocracy without having seen it, but it's a very funny movie that basically everything's free and it's a dystopian future where they think plants crave electrolytes because electrolytes are good. So they, yeah. or they've killed all their crop. Anyways, you'll see it. It's, yeah. it's really good, but yeah, I could see that where all of a sudden you're almost creating an argument that I have seen from some of the alt-right people is that AI is good because it will strengthen the traditional family because now all of a sudden people aren't working all of the time. They have more time to devote to their family. You're, there's a bunch of different groups that were satisfied that by that scenario, leftists, uh, anybody who's against corporations, they're yeah. not happy. Well, but yeah, I could, I think that three day work week and having four days right now would be great. Having an extra yeah. day to devote to the other stuff that I'm passionate about would make me a lot happier. In my case, I don't think my father or mother would want to have seen me hanging around too long with them in my younger version of myself. Okay. Uh, on that. But I'm going to go back to the corporation for a second. They're making trillions of dollars. And in economics, we have this term called, in the British way where I learned, is perfect competition, pure competition. I'm not getting technical. That just means when products become homogenized, when they go into hyper competitions. So these corporations I'm taxing, I'm pulling the money out, giving the plebeians U UBI so they don't howl because you, you don't want them barking and howling. Just, just give them some right. money. They'll go away for a while and then give them more candies during election time. This is how things work. And uh, even better than before, I'm giving government great ideas, but what happens if these companies go into hyper-competition and they're making razor-thin margins, and what is government and the UBI class going to live off? So you right. that could send you to social unrest. I'm so depressed. I think I'm going to make a phone call. Hang on. <laughs> but, uh, I, I've got some. I've got some future jobs for you. If, yeah, because I here's my hesitation with that whole scenario. Is I remember during the Obama administration how all truckers were just out of work. It was over. Truckers, <laughs> yeah. you're done, and they can't get the stupid thing to work. So I'm always a little hesitant. But yeah, who do you think will be? 
best suited to benefit? What industries, what workers will benefit from AI? I went to see my cousin in Cape Cod in the summer, and I go, if I was 19 years old again, you know what I do? And 20, he goes, Joe, you can't have a replay. And he's got a very Bostonian accent. Anyways, so what I'm going to tell you, if I had a replay, here's what I'd do. I would probably study algorithmic engineering or tech technical stuff. The four-year degree, hasta la vista, pardon my Spanish, right? You can take a one-year intensive course on, on anything you want, programming, coding, schmoding, and you don't have to take all the peripheral courses. I've taught before, or I tried to teach. I think my students ended up teaching me anyways, and they did. They're, they're really nice people. But what I'm getting at is you get these intensive 12-month seminars. Could be You might want to know about how to do security and IT systems. So that's just from an education point of view. I'd rather probably study algorithmic engineering. If I don't want to do that's fine. I'd rather go to Google University and learn data management for eight months a year um, instead of taking a four-year degree on butterflies in the Amazon's mating habits. I would want to be a master of programming industrial robots, CNC machines. And I'm getting into technical stuff here, right? Yeah, but um, so what about us dummies? <laughs> well, well, no, but hang on. It's All not right. that hard. You just work harder. You just I, didn't, like, I didn't pass basic algebra, Joe. Come on. Okay, so hang on. There's hope for debaters, too. Don't worry. Okay, debaters, good. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'll, no, I'm I'll not be just patient. Saying those sorry areas. to interrupt. Um, uh, and here's what I do. If I, now I shouldn't say this, but anyways, but I will say it. But it's what you could do with AI, if you know how to harness it, you could probably get a job as a private investigator, I used to assist one in my other life, but let's up at a level. That's just entry level. Eventually, you want to get into the art of industrial espionage and know how to utilize AI. For You don't have to invent the stuff. You don't have to be a mathematician. So now I hope that's inspiring for you, Chris. Yeah, you know? no, I'm- yeah, you go into that industrial espionage, and this way you don't have to reinvent the wheel. What if AI starts spying for you? Okay. That'd be cool. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so efficiency engineering, process engineering, but I've got another one here. What if you could have a school where you can have, you get the the tech types, right? Like I'm not a super tech type, but I have an appreciation for it. I would have completed engineering if I liked it. I didn't didn't like it. I came home. I didn't want to draw straight lines anymore. I told my dad. And uh, anyways, what if you, uh, I'm going to give you an example these avatars will eventually have IQs of 250 to 300. Mm-hmm. Your little children will come home. They'll tell their teachers, I'm not listening to you because you're not that smart. And my avatar smarter than, than you. <laughs> and they're making some complex subjects so easy now. Right. And what if you had a list of avatars you created for math, for literature, for history, political science, for art, for music, right? I wish I'd taken music. My wife's side of the family comes as a musical background. And you didn't know who I wanted to be when I was a kid, but I won't tell you. I wish I played piano better. But anyways. Billy Joel? No, I'm going back to before my time. My, oh, I can't tell. I'll tell you off air. Okay. This way you'll talk to me. And uh, anyways, (laughs) but what I'm trying to say is you can set up schools and harness AI to promote your new business. Okay. And you could use AI saying, I'll do all your graphics and arts for you, right? Because I don't want to even do it myself. I know a little bit about it, a fair bit. So I will do all your research for you before a podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So you'll sound good. So you can harness it that way. Ad agencies, 
Of course, there's creativity. But then at the same time, you, what is working better? 3% G, 11% Facebook ads, 40% Twitter. I'm coming up with these numbers here. Sure. So what's the perfect marketing mix? Tell me. And this is what I want to do. And tell me, who should I contact? at? Because I've only got a budget of $2,000 a month to pay somebody to do this. Who should I contact that specializes in these areas that can bring my podcast alive or what have you? Okay. And, and people getting a little bit, it's a bit nerdy I'm getting, but ERP systems, integrating AI and applications into enterprise resource planning, which is all this fancy software, right? And right. so corporations have more meetings. But the good thing is with AI, less meetings. And the other good thing is if you're a corporation and you have a lot of staff, they can litigate against you if things don't go good, especially in this day and age. It's getting vicious. It'll relieve yourself from some of that. And some people will be relieved. Who knows? On the positive side, we can have the one income earner in the family again. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a lot of people who go, I don't mind if one of the spouses works, the other ones, I don't mind. I know. I'm the breadwinner. My wife takes care of the kids, and they're both doing fantastic because of it. Absolutely. But, you know, it's, that's it's, gone. Yeah. That's Our gone. Baby, Bravo. My, my, it's very difficult. It's very stressful. Please join our Patreon, everyone. But it's benefited our kids in just some amazing ways. So let me ask you this. How much should or should we regulate at all artificial intelligence? Because I see the people who do this on a daily basis begging Congress to be regulated. Is that because they're actually scared or are they trying to cement their market position? I believe it's Professor Tagmar. He's this AI whiz, right? By the way, the most advanced AI schools in the world are in Toronto, University of Toronto. Okay. Professor Hinton, I believe his name is, he came up with a lot of this, some really advanced stuff in here. So in terms of regulation, that's really good. If you want government to regulate it, that's like hiring the carjacker to run your parking service for your valet service for you. So you got a problem right. there. Okay. At least with me anyways, but right. you don't have to agree with that. So the, in my view, as soon as people go, I think we need government we need more legislation. And are you sure you want them to regulate it when they can't even get professional help for their compulsive lying disorder? <laughs> and it's available, right? They can get therapy. So there's lots of therapists, give them your visa card and you can talk to them. They'll listen to you. Hopefully. And But in all essence there, that's a very good question. What if I give you, and my imagination is going to run wild, what if we had an AI program that fact-checked, not these ideologues that are fa- from dark money that are fact-checking, they're not credible. What if we had an AI program that could spear through the lies, we all agreed that it was clean, 100%, could think for itself and say, okay, this is where it's getting out of control and it could help regulate it. Uh, it's, I saw someone it's an post a, an, a photo of an Israeli soldier holding a baby, talking about how wonderful yeah. the soldier is. And I'm like, that person has eight fingers. How did you not know that this was fake? In the Ukraine and Israel, the war propaganda is just, we, on our last episode about Israel that we did, we just gave up. I don't know if the hospital was bombed by Israel or Hamas. It's like, I, I'm frustrated with it. No idea. And, and I don't trust anybody to, what am I going to watch? Israel's I-24 and Al Jazeera's, I don't know. It's very, I think, and it's only going to get better. Yeah, I think using artificial intelligence to track that down would be superb. I had my buddy in film, 
But, and I'll just wrap it up like this. This guy who's actually, he's an American citizen. His name's Gonzalo Lira. The, the guy's got a very fluid mind. You might've heard of him. And what he did is he was a filmmaker. You can look him up. And he showed that, I think it was Bachara, I can't pronounce this correct. They're showing uh, lined up dead Ukrainian soldiers all over the side of the road. Or was it Russian soldiers? But it was Ukrainian soldiers showing them that they would be all massacred and killed. One little problem, their uniforms were completely clean, pressed beautifully. And when the camera stopped, he showed how they, all these corpses got up, walked away. Amazing. CNN did one in Israel where there was some bombing by one of the sides and they told the reporter, get down, we'll start rolling the film. So, and I know what you're saying. When I grew up, and I'll leave, I've said it before, Peter Jennings, Walter Cronkite, even who's retired now is the, so many of the broadcasters, you didn't know who their political party was. They they never, like Lloyd Robertson in Canada, they, they were not openly ideologues, right? They just they sure. reported the news. Watching them for 10 years, I don't watch news on TV anymore. I can listen to lies on other mediums <laughs> instead. Uh, to um, your point, Gulf of Tonkin happened back then, right? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, you know the, that one. Yeah. Project Mockingbird, like Project <laughs> Northwoods, like all these things that you learn now, you go, yeah, the time of centralized media wasn't great either. No, it wasn't. That happened. And you're right. It was not a u u utopia. But 60 Minutes used to get into the weeds and really hammer you hard. But now, look, you, I agree with you. Today, it's just that with all the information we have, you, you can tell it's a cabalitocracy. And that great thing, finally, the equalizer and the democratization of the masses when in, the, in 1996, when I was getting my head around the internet around there, 96, 94, and all the great hope and all that stuff. And this is going to be the equality of the masses. We work out that way. Yeah. All right. Pitch us on the book. I think it's been so fun to talk to you. Our listeners have obviously heard the breadth and depth of knowledge that you have on just this one subject. Your book spans a whole bunch of stuff. Pitch us on the book. Oh, wow. I'm exhausted now. But it must be that, it must <laughs> but, be that uh, soda water in Canada that we have. But we have chef. Sugar crash. But the book is, like I said, everything from, you know, the history of monetary policy. Like the book itself is meant to make you feel Full. I even give you the financial reasons, the monetary reasons of how the Second World War came about. It all laid in the reparations of the First World War. I talk about even the 1920 depression in America and much of the rest of the world. I talk about the rise of the, the communist countries. So I go through it. It's The book goes through the great mid-century reset, the gold standard from 1944 till 71 when Nixon took it off, how the IMF, its original role. In other words, if you read this book, and a lot of it's got some pretty good humor, but the combination of history and economics, when you go to the your next party, you'll definitely be the smartest person in the room. It'll help you take over the world, and it'll protect you and your family from the coming economic tsunami. We're already in it now. And, and, and of course, I talk immensely about money printing. That sounds I'm fantastic. I'm definitely going to get a copy. I've enjoyed having you on the show, and I thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me on, and it's been great. And I wish you a continued success, Chris, and all the things you do, and all the best for you and your family.
Thanks, Joe. And thank you for listening here on the show. You can find a link to the book and uh, Joe's social media and his website in the show notes. And if you have a comment that was sparked during the discussion, go to chrisbangle.com and leave a comment on the show. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Chris Bangle Show.